2 Corinthians chapter 5. Did you know that you're a survivor? Did you know that? You are a survivor uh, because you just made it through the holidays. Do you ever feel like you're a survivor? You made it through the holidays? Do you ever get together with your family during the holidays, be it Thanksgiving? We could, it's okay. I know sometimes Christians get all irritated when you say holidays. They're like, it's Christmas. You're supposed to say Christmas. Well, some people say holidays because there's more than one holiday that's going on. You know, you got Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, all those things. So anyway, we get together with family. Do you ever get together with family and the holidays? And afterwards, you breathe a sigh of relief and you go, whew, that was actually nice. Do you ever have that? And even though it was nice, you still have this sense of, of survival. We made it through that get-together without one fight. You know, Aunt so-and-so didn't say what she usually says, uh, you know, and nobody got sick. Or, Well, actually, you know, some of us, anybody get sick between Thanksgiving and present day? Anybody? Uh, that's it? Just, just a few of you? I'm surprised. Usually there's a lot of sickness going on, and some of it is getting together with a bunch of people. Some of it, though we won't want to admit it, some of it is the amount of bad food that we eat during this time. You know, the sugary stuff and candies and cookies and pies and all that stuff. We never want to say that that had anything to do with us lowering our immune system and getting sick. No way. But it happens the same time every year, but there's no connection whatsoever to that. Uh, anyway, you survived it. You survived another year. Does, that's, you know, last week we talked about New Year's resolutions, uh, and I don't usually do those, but one thing that I usually think of when it gets to a new year is, I made it to another year. Anybody ever think that? You know, I made it to another year, so I'm not going to die in 2022 because I made it to 2023. I survived. I made it. Uh, and that's really, that's really the... the the commonality or the, the thrux of, of what we tend to experience in life is survival, isn't it? You know, we have our highs and lows. We have good and bad, and we try to be grateful, and we have many things to be grateful for. But in many ways, we're just trying to get through this, aren't we? We're just trying to make it through this experience that we call life because there's so many challenges and difficulties and problems in it. And those problems really uh, make it difficult to live a life after Christ, it makes it difficult for a church to do, pursue, and accomplish what God, the mission God would have it to pursue, because there's so many problems out there. Do you ever resolve a problem, and you think, great, that's great, I resolved that problem, feel good. And then the same problem shows right back up again, and you're like, no, we already dealt with that. Like, have you ever talked something through with somebody, you thought, okay, they're not mad anymore, that's good, we're good, then couple weeks later, they're mad about the same thing again. Ever have that before? Like, we dealt with, why is the problem back? Or you deal with one problem, you get it resolved, and then all of a sudden a different problem shows up over here. Like those leaking, leaking boats. You know how you get on a leaking boat where there's all these holes leaking and you're trying to plug the holes? Do you ever feel like that's your life? You're just trying to stop this problem, trying to stop this problem, trying, and more problems keep servicing. Or uh, we resolve the problems and we get, ever have the, the calm before the storm scenario? where everything got, everything's fine right now. I should feel good about this, but I'm terrified for some reason. Everything's okay. Do you ever, anybody ever feel like that? Everything's okay, and I don't know why. It's creeping me out. Something should be going wrong. And you know why we feel that way? Because something is going to go wrong at some point. 
It is, because that's, that's earthly life. Earthly life is we go through problem after problem after problem after problem, and it makes us want to give up. It makes us want to give up on, on our friendships, on our relationships, on marriages, on our kids or parents. Makes us want to give up on trying to figure. Have you ever tried to be more wise with your finances? And you really tried hard at it, and then things all of a, they were getting better, and then they fell apart again. And you're like, I was trying to do all the right things. And then what do you tend to do with that? Ah, I'm just going to give up on that and just spend everything. All right? We do that. Or with the diet stuff, you know, I try, I'm going to try to eat healthier. And then before you know it, you, you go to someone's house, and they have pie and ice cream. You go, there's a birthday party, and then there's another birthday party. And there's all, ah, I'm just going to eat sweets all the time now. <laughs> and we do that because it's not perfect. And we think that I need to live in a state of perfection for me to pursue any good. And it defeats our ability to follow Christ. And we give up on things. Some of you here this morning are in a place where you've given up on things. Maybe some things that aren't as important, like diet pursuits and those kind of goals. Maybe things that are more important, like relationships. Maybe things that are even more important than that is our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we've given up. And why do we give up? Because there's problems. That's why we quit, because, there's, because it's not perfect. And it kind of goes like this in our personal lives. We pray, ask God to do something, pray and ask God to do something. What happens? Doesn't do it. Peace doesn't do it in the way or the time that we were anticipating. It doesn't happen. So we start to ask the question, why pray? Or why pray about stuff? You know, just stop. And so we start pulling back and we stop praying. You know, I'm not going to pray. Why pray? It doesn't do anything. Or we read the Bible and we don't get anything out of it. And, and we read it again, we don't get anything out of it. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. And so we, we step back and we stop doing that. And some of you are in this place where you've stepped back from those things and you're seeing the reason why, because you didn't see whatever it was you were expecting to happen from that. We pull back in re- from relationships. We pull in the church world. We pull back from trying to reach people. We pull back from, you know, I, and I think this happened with COVID. Uh, I think this has been happening for decades, but it has happened with COVID as well, where people stopped going to church, somewhat by force, somewhat by need, uh, stopped going to church, and then they, they started to realize Nothing bad happened to me. My life's okay, actually, still, and I didn't go to church. So why go to church if my life didn't fall apart? And it's because we live in a, we live in a very instant, an instant society today, don't we? We don't have to wait for anything. I mean, if you order something from Amazon, and Amazon says it's going to be two weeks, you freak out, don't you? I mean, it's supposed to be four or five days. What do you mean, two weeks? What are you talking about? I need it now. If you go to a restaurant and you find out it's going to be an hour, an hour, wait, I'm not waiting an hour to eat dinner. What are you talking about? You leave and you get out of there because we want the, if you're trying to send a text to somebody and you get like that kind of like swirly signal going and it's taken a few seconds longer than it usually does, you start, what's wrong with my phone? Why isn't it moving instantly? We have everything that we live in today, everything that surrounds us sets us up for that it has to be instant. And there are certain things that aren't instant. They're not. 
I mean, I don't know. Gracie had a baby a year ago. We got Melissa there as a year old now. And Gracie, when you got when you conceived, did did you just end up with a baby instantly? No, I were you disappointed with that? Don't don't answer that question. She was unsure there. We'll have to talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> but there are things that just don't come instantly. In fact, some of the best things don't come instantly. But what we do is we give up if it doesn't come instantly. So, for example, relationships. Relationships are easy, aren't they? It's very easy to maintain them. It's very easy to feel great about that person and them to feel great about you. It's easy, right? No? It's difficult, relationships. And why do we walk away from relationships? Because they were great and they felt really fulfilling and rewarding and they loved me and I loved them. Is that why we walk away? Why do we walk away? Because there were problems. Because things didn't evolve instantly and so we walk away from that. Some people give up on marriages because it didn't result in perfection. Some people leave church families because it wasn't perfect in there, you know. Uh, people didn't, someone said something that hurt my feelings. How many of you walked away from some relationships because someone hurt your feelings? Or maybe a church or an organization or a job because someone hurt your feelings. People hurt your feelings, don't they? I mean, if we walked away from everything and everyone because they hurt our feelings, we'd never have any intimacy, never have any closeness with anybody. We never would. Because guess what? Every person in your life is going to hurt your feelings at some point. But because of that need for instant gratification, it's why the church struggles today. Because what we expect is we come in, we sing a song, and boom, great, amazing things start happening. The Holy Spirit gets poured out, and every time anybody comes up here to pray, they get instantly healed, and everything's great, and uh, that's the way it should be, right? And it doesn't happen. So we give up on the group, we give up on the church we're involved in, we give up. Some of you have developed a passion for God's kingdom, and you want to see God move in people's lives, and you try to do what you're called to do and faithfully serve them and minister to them. And as you've done that, you've seen people not be responsive. Anybody ever try to re minister to people and see them not be responsive? You, nothing. Nothing happens. And what do we want to do with that? Might as well not try to work on that person. Might as well not try to witness. Might as well not try to minister. Why, why are we doing all this stuff? And why are we asking the question? Because we didn't get the instant results. And I'm telling you, this is the reason why we in our personal lives are failing in our ability to faithfully serve Christ it's why we as a church, us specifically, but also other churches, are struggling to make the difference in society that God will enable us to do if we let him because we've given up because it didn't happen instantly. And the question is, what kind of people do you want to be? Do you want to be the kind of person that waits for things to come instantly and never really get anything of any value? You know what's instant? The microwave. What tastes better, something that's been baked for hours or the microwave? You want something that's good. I mean, you can get some good things in the microwave, sure. But if you want something that's really, really good, let's be okay waiting for it. But the question is, are you the kind of person that can survive the kind of environment that we're in? Where everybody around us needs instant and everybody around us is a problem and we're a problem. I want you to point at yourself right now. Actually, let's do something fun for a second. I need to point at the person next to you. 
and say, you're the problem. Go ahead and do that. <laughs> Some of you are pretty sanctified because you were very reluctant to do that. <laughs> we're just joking around, okay? Now I want you to do the, the better one, point to yourself now and say, and look at the person you just pointed at and say, I'm the problem. <laughs> we are the problem. It's us. But usually when there is a problem, we're not doing this, right? We're pointing at them or we're pointing at God and saying it's God's problem. And have you ever thought to wonder, why is it, both of you are frantically checking for the phone. It's okay. <laughs> we're just going to dance for a moment till we get the, re there we go. All right. Have you ever thought about this for a minute? If God loves us, why would he allow us to have to wait for the good things, sometimes the necessary things to come? If God really cares about us, why do we have to go through this whole waiting scenario? Sometimes it's an entire lifetime. Why would we have to go through this whole waiting scenario for things to get right uh, if he loves us? Have you ever thought about that? Why, is it, why would I have to suffer for years from some kind of physical issue? Why would I have emotional struggles, financial struggles, relationship struggles? Why would the world be the way that it is for so long if God really cares about us? Why would that be? I want you to think about this for a minute. Maybe think of it in the context of children or just us in general. If this is the way life worked, every single time you sin, or just strayed slightly from God's perfect will for your life, God whacked you with the most severe stomach sickness and just made you feel intense pain instantly. And then he helped you recover, and then the next time you stray slightly, boom, just everything was horrible. And what if every time you were in alignment with God's will, you were there, you were cooking, you were making it right, and everything was just great, there's no physical pain at all. Your health is wonderful. Money's good and great. Everybody loves you. Everything is just absolutely fulfilling and pleasurable and great. All right? That's the, if that's the way God worked, okay? If you're in his will, everything's wonderful. And some people try to present following Christ that way. But if everything was like that, I want you to think about this for a second. If God allowed our experience to be that way, then what kind of person would we be if I can control this thing and make sure that I always get everything that I want every way that I want it by just doing this whole formula? And if I don't do it, I'm just, I, I can rely on that, that God's going to correct me instantly and deal with this so that I know that I strayed. If, if we live this way, what kind of heart would this leave me with? Would I not end up being a, a self-centered, pleasure-centered, just want everything, almost like a spoiled brat type of scenario? Wouldn't I not end up that way if that's the way God dealt with humanity? But we're puzzled all the time, aren't we? Because it's not, life isn't as it should be. Well, then tell me, how do I survive this life? Am, am I the only one that feels like, do you ever feel like that sometimes? Just trying to make it through, Right? You want to know how to survive this? Well, Paul has some uh, advice for us. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, and I forgot to get that ready. Speaking of instant gratification, <laughs> you will not be instantly gratified. You will have to wait 
It takes only 15 minutes to load this. <laughs> and no, I do not have that entire, those entire 10 verses memorized, though I do have part of it memorized. Uh, if I could type under pressure, that would help. Second Corinthians 5, here we go, all right. Uh, verse 1, 4, we know that if the tent, now we're speaking metaphorically of our physical body uh, and our spirit is dwelling within that. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. So again, we're not talking about a house that we dwell in. We're talking about this physical body. Uh, we have a building, we have a body from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. Do you ever feel that? Ever bit of that? In this tent we groan. Longing. Do you ever feel longing in this tent? Okay. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Have you ever feel burdened in this body? Burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 6. So we are always of good courage. Do you ever just want to be like that? Just good courage, confident, assured, no insecurities whatsoever. We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Who's Him? Jesus Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So if there are two items here, if we possess these two items, we are going to be able to survive this life. And the first item we need to possess is understanding the circumstances that we're in. We're in some circumstances, right? We have a situation that we're in that we're dealing with all the time. And what are the details of the circumstances? Well, first, we saw uh, this whole uh, groaning uh, and longing for something else, okay? Uh, we experience brokenness all the time, don't we? Whether it's brokenness in me or I'm dealing with someone else. Do you ever think I'm dealing with their brokenness right now. You know, this isn't me. This is their brokenness is driving me crazy, okay? We deal with brokenness all the time. We live in a broken world, broken system, broken everything. Everything's broken, right? Because if you really look at it at a perfected perspective, everything's broken. That's what we live in, brokenness all the time. We try to fix that. We, anybody try in your life really hard to fix all that? Are you really, I mean, you get a hold of your life and get a hold of other people's life, and you, nobody else tried? Come on, I know some of you. I know you tried. Thanks, Linda. All right, good. You already had your hand up, but that's good. Thank you. We try to fix all these things and make things not be broken. What have you discovered? It's still broken. Actually, Heather and I were just talking about that last night, or this morning. It might have been this morning. That isn't it crazy how stuff falling apart, that, the speed of that, moves so faster than stuff coming together. Doesn't that ever drive you crazy? 
whether it's the, the cleanliness of the house or something that, that you, you, a car you kept together or whether it's a relationship or an emotional state of being, isn't it crazy how your emotional state of being can just go deteriorate so fast? To pull that back together, it takes so long. Why is that? Okay, That's what we live in. We are dealing with living in a state of brokenness. We are also dealing with a very, very delayed gratification. Think about what was just described here. We have a house where? In heaven. Are we in heaven right now? Boy, I certainly hope not. <laughs> we have a house waiting for us for in heaven for when? When do we get that house? When we retire, right? When we get on Social Security? No. When do we get that? What's going to have to happen for most of us? Yes, thank you. I know. We're all afraid to... I used to work in insurance, and, and it was always difficult for some people to try to sell life insurance because you bring up death. You're going to die. I have news for you this morning. You are going to die. Okay? I don't know if it's a big secret. I know. You know, we don't like to talk about that. But we are all going to die at some point. That's, that's the reality. And the problem is, all the good stuff, all the great stuff that Jesus is promising and, and, and guaranteeing for us, all that stuff, you know when we get it? When we, we have to wait a lifetime for it. We live in a world, what do you mean a lifetime? I need seconds for, for me to, have you ever thought about this? Seconds. For me, well, Habiba, who's downstairs, when she, Habiba was in Nigeria, okay? And I could type a text message and hit send, and you know when she'll get it? Within seconds from Pittsburgh all the way to Nigeria. We live in a world that's like that. What do you mean I'm going to have to wait for what is going to fulfill me the most for a lifetime? I mean, that's almost hard for us to even stomach. That's why some people don't choose to follow Christ. That's hard to stomach, the idea that I'm going to have to wait a lifetime for this to get better, a lifetime for all of this to get resolved. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you're living for now? What is it that you're spending your time, your energy, your resources chasing after now? Is it, is it giving you the fulfillment that you'd hoped for? Did it resolve the problems? Did it eliminate the struggles in this life that you, you hoped would happen? Did it do that? And the problem is, this is, and some of you know people like this. Here's the problem. Is sometimes pursuing things that are not good for us fulfills us for a time, don't they? That pie on Christmas Day, that tasted good, so good. All It made me satisfied. Some of you, weren't you satisfied with some of those desserts you had? Okay, there was a birthday party, which I managed to restrain myself last night, not eating any of the desserts, but I don't always do that. There are a lot of good desserts. And I'm sure that a lot of people who ate those desserts, and sometimes, anybody ever go to a party and you had seconds and thirds? Felt great and satisfied your hankering for that at the time, didn't it? Have you ever done that and in the middle of the night? You were thinking, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. <clears throat> and don't you wish that life, the consequences and the benefits of them, would always be instantaneous? But that person who chose to use alcohol to try to suppress all their struggles and all their issues and try to make life better, they made life better for a little while, didn't they? Some of you know people like that. Some of you are 
or have been people like that, or those drugs, or those uh, casual sexual relationships, or just hiding away with all my technology, because it's amazing how you can just, uh, have you ever found yourself on some social media platform and one thing popped up? You watched it, and they're all third, like two-second videos. And, and next one, before you know it, you look at the time, and you've been browsing through that thing for an hour. Or have you ever started to watch a TV show? Because you know how, like, on Netflix, they'll put, like, the 15 seasons of a TV show on there, and you could just watch it to your heart's content. And how many of you started watching, and before you knew it, you were five seasons into that thing within two days? And it felt good every moment, didn't it? Wasting all that time. And that's why it's difficult to live a godly, Christ-centered, following Jesus Christ life. Because you can make yourself feel happy for a while. But most people, most people end up at the end of whatever trail they chase, unless it's Christ, unless it's truly knowing him, they get to a place of nothingness. They might not be anxious and in despair. Maybe they are. They might not be depressed. They might not be in bondage to some kind of addiction. But most people at the end of their trails, be it careers, financial success, whatever, most people at the end of their trail end up at some point with emptiness. This, I spent my whole life chasing after this, and what did it get me? And they have a sense of, I don't know what I just lived for. And that's the thing that Jesus is trying to rescue us from by inspiring Paul to write these words is that there's something better to live for than all this stuff that doesn't make you happy. But you're going to have to trust that when you die, you're going to get that reward. And if I don't have that, I cannot survive. If I don't understand that this thing I'm waiting for is very, very, very delayed, and it also uh, produces for me a, a uh, solution that is very limited in its scope. Did you notice verse 5? He said, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. This faith that we have isn't blind faith. We're not just believing in like the Easter bunny or something. There's really no evidence for Easter bunny, okay? And there's evidence for rabbits. They're all over my neighborhood. So not Easter bunny. Okay, there's a... There's no children in here, so I think I can say this. There's no evidence for some magical, I mean, there is, but Melissa doesn't understand this yet. Um, there's no evidence for some big, jolly, uh, heavyset guy uh, that wears a red suit that can kind of slide down the chimney that's not there and bring presents into your house. There's no evidence for that. There is evidence for a man named Jesus Christ who came onto this scene about 2,000 years ago and was crucified. Did you know even secular historians, ancient historians, mention this guy who died on the cross, and then all of a sudden his body was gone, resurrected. We have evidence. This Bible, uh, I challenge you, I challenge you, read, spend this year reading the Bible, trying to understand what it's actually saying, what it's actually saying, and don't just make up a meaning, what it's actually saying, and try to live that out or try to observe life with that perspective. And I don't know what just happened, but we just got different audio. Is that just on me? Okay, that's just on me. Uh, you end up with, I challenge you to do that and look at life, and you know what you're going to find? The Bible makes the most sense of life than, than any other document or idea. 
it just makes, makes sense when you start. It makes sense. Okay, I get that. Jesus saying, in this world, you will have trouble. Doesn't that make sense? Right? In this world, you will have trouble. It makes sense. This stuff makes sense. The, the, the idea of waiting for something that's better makes sense. Right? Have you ever waited for something for so long, and when it finally came, were you disappointed when it came? In fact, many of those things that we waited so long for, it felt so much better or tasted so much better because of waiting for it. And we know intuitively that, that this works, that we wait for things, but we need something, some assurance. So what is the assurance that he says? That's the Holy Spirit. He gave his spirit as a guarantee. So have you ever had those moments that you were at your breaking point? And all of a sudden, you felt this odd assurance that just showed up out of nowhere. Or have you ever had these moments of uh, sickness, fatigue, just kind of lost, you're not sure what you're doing, and all of a sudden, a person came into your life, and you, you thought it was the person that was up to that. A person came into your life and said something or did something that completely just changed what was taking place. Have you ever had moments like that? Have you ever had someone come into your life and do something in your life that just completely changed what was taking place? Have you ever had that? That's the deposit. The deposit is the little pieces of evidence that keep surfacing in your life as you follow Christ that say to you, this is real. I'm here. I'm with you. And because you've seen that, you can know that that is just the beginning of what's on the way for you. There's a deposit. But there's also a problem. Uh, did you notice it? Verse 10. For, um, for a few people must appear before Christ at the judgment. For, for church leaders, governmental leaders must appear before the judgment. For those people who have done really, really bad things, those people must appear before the judgment. Am I reading that wrong? I don't have my glasses on. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't that one of the most scariest things that Jesus said? It's more scary than in this world you will have trouble. When Jesus said, by your every word and action, you will be judged. Scary thought, isn't it? Because I've, I've said some bad things with this mouth. Have you said some bad things with your mouth? I've said some bad things with this mouth. And Jesus is going to hold me accountable. Does that mean that, that I'm going to go to hell because I, I messed up, blew it? No, thankfully, Jesus provided a pathway for that. But does that mean he's going to not hold us accountable to our lives? No, he's going to hold us accountable. And some of us, the reason why we're struggling to survive this life is because we're not living with these things in mind. Because if you know, and I've mentioned this before, I, hardship, struggling, issues, those things, for me, they might irritate me. They might make me mad or upset or disappointed or wanting to change things. But they never make me frustrated with God. You know why? Because he told me it was coming. He told me it was coming. He told me you can expect this. And, and sometimes I've caused the problems. Have you ever caused problems and then blamed God afterwards? Can't believe I got sick. God, this is all your fault. Meanwhile, you were stuffing your face with whatever you were stuffing. I'm using food as an analogy because we like food. But we blame God for that. Is that really where we need to be? 
Because then the reality is we are going to be held accountable before God. And do we live that way? Do we live that way? When you said what you said to that person yesterday, did you say it thinking, I'm going to make this judgment thing great? Is that what you did? When we chose to not fulfill what Jesus was expecting of us or what we should have done for that person, when we chose not to do that, when we made that choice, did we make that choice because we were thinking, I'm going to make my judgment day fantastic? Did you cut that person off? Did you say that crossword? Did you feel that vindictive heart towards that person? When you chose not to share your faith, when you chose not to get involved in the body of Christ, when we chose not to be a student of God's word, when we made those choices, did we really make those choices saying, I'm planning on making my judgment fantastic? No. But if we understand that we live in brokenness, things are going to be very delayed in their gratification there is a solution that's present, a Holy Spirit that will help me, but it's very limited as far as eliminating all problems. And there is this judgment that's ahead of us. All of those things, though, in some ways should be, bring comfort. In other ways, that's frustrating. We have to deal with this for, uh, where is Joyce at? Joyce is 27. Actually, she's very proud of her 80, 84 years of age. You wouldn't know it, you know, 84 years of age. Do you know you can have another 30 years left on you? And some of you might be thinking, some of you are in your 60s and you're thinking, please, God, no. <laughs> 30 more years of this? But we have no way of knowing because we don't know when this is going to end. Some people die early, some people die late. Uh, but we have years and years ahead of us, and thinking of this scenario isn't necessarily comforting unless we know how to, God bless you, unless we know how to survive this. So what does the survivor look like then? Don't you want to be that? I'd want to be that. If I'm going to be stuck dealing with this stuff, I at least want to know how to make my way through it. What does a survivor look like? Well, Paul says in verse 7, he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Some of us, the reason why we're anxious is because we're seeing the way things are financially now. Anybody have retirement investments and you've watched them? Anybody have some of those? Is it encouraging to see what's happened over the past year to those investments? <laughs> and if you are allowing your joy and your confidence and your uh, trust that God's going to provide for you, if you're allowing those things to depend on where the direction of that balance is going, you're not going to be all right. If you're relying on, because there are sometimes, here's the struggle with being, I, I envy people that are in Bill's position that was here last week, you know what, because I used to be in that position, where you can come and preach, and it doesn't matter what people felt about you, what they thought about it, what's going on in their lives, you just get to preach that sermon and get out of here. But when you're the pastor of the church, you have to know. I mean, there were literally, there had been Sundays where I had just had that person over there. I'm not pointing to you guys intentionally, not you guys. Uh, I just had that guy just yesterday read me out over something. And this person over there just told me how they got problems with this and that right before service started. No, Cindy didn't actually do that. I'm just pointing in a direction. And then I have to figure out how do I talk to these people now uh, that that just happened. Okay? 
And that's, that's we, we live in that. But here's the thing. I have to be able to have the confidence that God's word is true and it can be presented even if people don't like me. Because if, if you're going to live your life happy when people like you and not happy when people don't like you, you're going to be like this all the time. Because you don't even have to be a pastor for people not like you. You don't even have to be standing up for anything for people not like you. Some of you are the peace, love people. Like, I'm just going to be nice to everybody and hopefully everybody will love me. And you have discovered that even if you're nice to everybody, there's still eventually someone who doesn't like you. Sometimes they just don't like you because you're too nice. You ever had that before? People will not like you at some point. And if you are living based on what you see, the way the doctors give you a report of what your health is, the financial picture that you have, the relationship picture, if you are living based on what you can see, you're not going to survive. You're not. We have to live with being able to see. And this isn't just wishful thinking, okay? I want you to think of, there's an analogy I, I heard uh, recently. When you see, when you drive by what used to be an empty lot over here that was run down, and you see a sign that pops up there saying, uh, Dunkin' Donuts coming soon, <clears throat> or Starbucks coming soon, or a Walmart coming, whatever would make you happy, Home Depot coming soon, whatever it is that would make you happy. You see that sign? Do you look at that sign and go, well, there's no building there. What they're talking about, I'm not getting any coffee there. It's just a bunch of weeds. I'm not getting anything out of there. And then when it goes, have you ever seen those signs and it takes months before anything starts to happen? And while you're waiting, do you get impatient and say, there's no way a Dunkin' Donuts is going there? And then when they start to lay the foundation, it takes forever when they start getting out those. There was a project out in the South Hills direction that when I used to be out there, I'd drive by, and it just, every, every day I'd drive by it, it was those big, uh, big vehicles that had those huge wheels on them that were trying to get everything smoothed out and stuff. They were just doing that for months. But I never once thought there's no building going to go up there. Never once thought that. I couldn't see the building, though, right? But I never thought it wasn't. Once the building and structure started getting there, and they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't hire anybody yet, no lights on yet, I didn't think, well, there's no lights on there. They're never going to build that thing. But we do that with other things all the time. There's no receptivity coming to me from that person, so they're never going to be receptive to me. There's nothing in my bank account right now so there is never going to be anything in my bank account. My body hurts now, so it's never going to not hurt. It's just going to always, there's no, should have no reason. If we live that way, what a kind of miserable life would that be? And we don't have a reason to be that way because how, how many of you have ever tracked this? Most of the things that you've been afraid of happening did not happen. If you, if I bet if you were to journal that, most of the things that you've been afraid, this is going to happen. Oh, my goodness, this is going to happen to me. Didn't happen. But we live our lives crippled in that. Because I don't want to be wishful thinker, when in reality, we, we need to live on faith. Because it's reasonable to live on faith that this is going to happen, uh, especially depending on what we're trusting on. So I need to be able to see by the faith. Then verse 8, he says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. A survivor is someone who's eternally focused. Because, listen, if you won that, remember, I don't remember how long ago that was, two or three years ago, when the lottery here locally reached like a billion dollars. Anybody remember that? It's like a billion dollars if you got that winning lottery ticket. Could you imagine if you won that lottery ticket, okay, and you walked into work on Monday morning, 
and your boss came to you and said uh, the things that bother you and irritate you all the time. Um, how much is that bothering you? I just want a billion dollars, bud. I don't care. Or if he fired you, are you stressed out about that? Go ahead and fire me. I don't care. I'll buy this place if I want to. I just want a billion dollars. I'm talking about. Hey, you're not afraid. You feel great about life. Why? Because your attention is on the fact that you just want a billion dollars. Now, after taxes, it's a half a billion dollars, but <laughs> but you just want a half a billion dollars. If we live our lives focus on where we're going, because if you realize that. I, I might be losing the use of my legs. I might have digestive issues. I might have some serious diagnosis. I might have those things. But you know what? I know, speaking of that tent, I know that one day I'm going to be given a resurrected body. It won't feel like 84 years old or 60 or or 60-something years old anymore. It'll feel like that 22. You wish sometimes for that 22-year-old body. Do you ever look at people that have a 22-year-old body and say, you don't even know. You don't even know how great you have it. You're going to have that one day. And so when you're hurting and you're groaning like the passage meant, mentioned and you're longing to be out of this whole situation that you're in, if you really know, have that assurance to know that I'm, this is going to be over and I, it's going to be great over here. Doesn't, it doesn't bother us so much, does it? Now, we have to deal with issues. We have to address things and work on things because we don't know. We might be here another 30 years or so. But I know that I'm getting that brand new, I'm getting that brand new body over there at some point. I'm getting a glorious paradise where everybody loves me and I love them and everything's great and I get to see Jesus Christ face to face and uh, it's all right. If I, if I get a... a Death prognosis, you're going to die in two months. If I get that, that's okay. Because that, I mean, really, would you be disappointed if someone says in two months you're going to win a billion dollars in the lottery? Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Would that really bug you? But that's what death is to the person who knows what comes after, to the person who's trusting in the person who has that well in hand. That's what gets us through that. That's what makes a survivor. And lastly, verse 9 so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Some of us, the reason why we aren't finding fulfillment, the reason why we're depressed, anxious, the reason why we're confused, the reason why we don't have any sense of purpose is because we're living for us. And I challenge you, monitor your activities. Watch what you're doing and ask yourself if you're not actually living for you instead of Jesus Christ. Because the true fulfillment the true fulfillment is living a life for Jesus Christ, not a life for religion. There have been people that have tried to be very religious but found no fulfillment in it. It's not a life of religion, a life of aiming. What does Jesus want me to do today? I'll do that. That's what I want to do. What does Jesus, Jesus doesn't want me to go over there. doesn't want me to touch that, say that. I'm not going to do it. That's a life of fulfillment. Some of us aren't surviving because we're trying to make us happy. We're trying to please us. We're trying to get the things that we want. And guess what? That's fleeting, my friend. You can chase after that for your lifetime. At some point, you will either realize you're, you're chasing after the wind, and you're never going to get it, or once you get it. Have you ever heard that joke, uh, being like a dog that chased after a car? I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it. Okay? 
So, some of you, you caught the thing that you were after, and then you realized this wasn't even that great. Because there's nothing that's going to fulfill our lives unless we decide to be a person that surrendered to Jesus Christ. So here's what I have for you. And worship team, if you come up here to lead us. And if you stand now, you'll be standing for another 20 minutes. So I don't want you to do that yet. I'm just kidding. That was nervous laughter, I think. <laughs> the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because, as you know, we're entering into a new year. Uh, and there are people involved in, in various roles in our church. I don't know if you know this, but um, my, my dad used to ask me this. Uh, he used to say, what do you do all day? Because, you know, pastors, all they do is they work for two hours on Sunday. That's all we do. Um, <laughs> there are things that are going on in my life and in the church's life that have nothing to do with Sunday morning. There are things that are taking place. And there, there is a team of individuals that's working together to think through and figure out how can we as a church be more strategic, more effective, more efficient in what we're doing. And one of the ways is to make sure that we're all on the same page and knowing what is it that we're doing? What is it that we're trying to do? And what we need to do is uh, as individuals and as a church, we need to live out this 2 Corinthians chapter 5 thing. And that is that just like, uh, just like the survivor in me, if I'm going to survive, I need to have these outlooks. The same is true for the church. If our optimism is built on how many people are here on a given Sunday, then that's going to go up and down, my friends. If our optimism and if our faithfulness to the mission is only tied to how much money came in the offering, or what the building looks like. I know, ladies, the bathroom doesn't look fantastic. But if we decided, can't do it, not witnessing to anybody, not ministering, not serving anything, because that bathroom, I tell you, it's horrible. If we decide that we're not going to fulfill the mission because of those things, we're not going to accomplish the mission. No, I did not just say we're never going to attend to the bathroom. That's not what I meant. But we have to be people that, that have decided that we're going to live by faith and not by sight. And the more of us that decide to do that in this group of people, the more, because could you imagine, what would it look like, 50 people deciding, we're, gonna, we're, going, to, we're going to witness to people. We're going to invite people to church. We're going to serve them. We're going to minister to them. We're going to try to help uh, improve their lives. We're going to serve them whatever we can. We're going to teach. We're going to do whatever we can. 50 people started doing that. Do you think that we wouldn't see some gain from that in the kingdom of God? But if you are doing all that and only going to stay faithful to that if you see the responsiveness, if you see revival come, if you see great things happen, that's not a survivor. Bethel Assembly of God in yourself, Bethel Assembly of God will not survive if our determination to pursue the mission is only tied to how good things get. We have to decide that we're going to pursue that mission. And we have to decide that we're going to obey Jesus above anything else. So if you ever wake up some Sunday and your body says, yeah, I'm a little tired today. I saw a flake of snow outside when I looked out the window. There is just the slightest breeze that came blowing through when I walked out the door. 
or I had a real bad day yesterday. It's not going to do it. If we live that way, that's not a powerful church. It's a weak church. And you might think, what does, what does that have to do with me? You know, it doesn't matter to me. It's not going to affect my paycheck if, if the church doesn't succeed. Uh, no, it might not affect your paycheck, but it will affect whether or not you're standing good before Jesus Christ because he has a mission for us to fulfill. And we have to decide we're going to live by faith and not by sight. We have to decide we're going to aim to please Jesus. We're going to decide that we're living for the eternity and not for this earthly life. Now you can stand with me if you will. So what am I asking you to do this morning? And I'm asking you to do this in your personal life. And I'm asking you to do this as a church. I'm asking you to do two things. Believe and do. Two, two words that easy enough to remember, not so easy to do. I'm asking you to believe and do. For yourself, overcoming whatever physical health thing that you have standing in front of you right now, financial issue, relationship issue, I'm asking you to believe that you, through Christ's help, can be victorious in that. And I'm asking you to not just sit by and take it, but I'm asking you to do something also. Whether that means you need to create a budget, whether that means you get on a health plan, whether it means you need to see a doctor, whether it means you need to trust Jesus, whether that means whatever it means, I'm asking you to do something about it. Whatever God guides you to do, whatever is reasonable, whatever the Bible says, do something about it. If you find yourself dead spiritually, you're not alive, you don't feel hope in your heart, you don't feel a close connection to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's not working in you, you don't see maturity, fruit of the Spirit happening in you, then what I'm asking you to do is believe that you can become that person. Believe and do something about it. Stop waiting for it to show up. Start reading your Bible. Start praying. Start getting involved. Start witnessing. Start serving. Do something about it. And then as a church, I'm asking you, will you do this with me? Will you believe that we together can build a great thing? And I believe we have a great thing, but I believe there's so much more that needs to be attained. Will you believe with me that Bethel can positively impact Marshall Shadeland in this neighborhood? Flourishing, uh, thriving body of Christ that's achieving the mission of Jesus Christ? Will you believe that with me? Will you believe that even when I drive you crazy? Will you believe that when the person you pointed to earlier just makes you nuts and causes all kinds of problems? Will you believe that with me when next week there's only 15 people here? Will you believe that we can do this? And will you do? Will you decide, well, Sunday I'm going to be there. Wednesday night I'm going to be there. And I'm just not going just, just to be a body there. I'm going to talk to people. You know, some of us, we like to get here at 10.05 or 10.20, and we leave before pastor says amen. Because we don't want to talk to anybody. Because they, we think they bite. And guess what? Some of them do bite. There are some people here that bite. I'm not naming any names. But you, you do talking to people? Will you do inviting people? Will you do, pray? Will you do worship? 
Instead of just showing up, will you try to seek the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Will you do? Will you, if you see a mess somewhere, will you pick it up? If you see that there's a need, something needs to happen, will you do? That's what we need to do. Because if we're going to survive this thing, and I, I tell you what, if we really actually get our hearts in the right place, we'll do way more than surviving in our personal lives and as a church. Do you believe that? So if you're struggling as they lead us, as you're, if you're struggling, and the Steelers are playing at one, okay, so we got some time here, all right? If you're struggling with believing for whatever it is, some personal thing for you, or as it's believing in the church, if you're struggling with believing, then I want you to come down to this altar and receive the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit enable you to believe when you weren't able to. If you're here this morning, and don't waste an opportunity. Don't waste a moment. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not here. You're here this morning, and you're not doing. And whether you need to repent of that or commit to doing that, or you're scared to do it, you need to ask help for it, you don't know how, do it. Then I want to invite you to come as the worship team leads us. Let's seek the deposit of the Holy Spirit, and let's begin to believe, and let's begin to do Let's seek him this morning. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you're here this morning and for whatever reason you didn't come forward, but you're really struggling with believing. Maybe you're not struggling with believing in Jesus Christ and the reward that comes with that. But there's something going on in your life that you're just struggling with believing in that. If you're here this morning, I'd love to pray with and for you that the Lord would help you with that. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you'd like me to pray for that struggle with you, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm struggling with belief. Good. Okay. Good. Anybody else? Good. See you there. For lastly, maybe you're here, heads bowed and eyes closed still. You're struggling with doing. You just can't seem to get yourself to do it, whatever it is whether it's big picture, kingdom of God work, or just something simple. Just being nice to your family, maybe. And you're just struggling with doing. The Holy Spirit can empower you to do that thing. God wants to help you. If it's, if it's something that's fit within His will, then He wants to help you do that. And you're struggling with doing, and you just need power. You need strength to do that. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Yes, I need that. Good, good. Anybody else? Good. Good, good. So, Lord, you see these hands, and we're asking that you would comfort us. Lord, I ask that you would comfort those that are just really, really struggling, and they need the assurance to know that what you've called them to pursue, it's worth it. It's worth it. And it, it might be difficult, but you'll be there every step of the way helping them through it might be littered with problems, but you'll be there every step of the way helping them through it. And I ask that you would help them to be able to have their eyes on you and their eyes on the prize, that they would not be robbed of their joy, not be robbed of their peace of mind, their security in Christ, but they would be able to rest in knowing that they can trust you. Help them. Give them the deposit of the Holy Spirit to sense, feel, and know that. And for those that have 
need to be strengthened to do the work that you've called them to do. Give them that strength. Fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit to enable them to do what you've called them to do. Give them the wisdom that they need to know how to do it, to know exactly what to do. Guide them by your Holy Spirit. And we ask, and if you would, if you, if you are with me on this, just lift both hands. We want to pray for God to make Bethel a flourishing church. Would you lift your hands if, that's, if you're with me on that, if this is your prayer. Lord Jesus, we are asking that you would make us. Bethel's not an organization. It's not simply a name. It's not a building. Bethel are the people who have chosen to commit to one another here. Make us, Lord, a flourishing church. Help us to capture a vision, to know exactly what you want us to do, and may you cause us to be united around it and to seek to achieve what you've called us to achieve. Empower us to do that. Give us favor and help us on the journey that if it gets hard, it gets difficult, if there's conflicts, challenges, help us, Lord, to not give up on fulfilling the mission that you've called us to fulfill. Go with us this week, Lord. Help us to be everything you've called us to be in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So thank you so much for being here this morning. And again, Wednesday at 630, I encourage you to be with us. And next week, we're going to move a little bit further into 2 Corinthians 5 and grab something from Philippians 2 to get a little more detail on what is it we're supposed to be doing. Why are we here and what are we supposed to be doing? So I hope you'll be here. All the answers will be had next week. Okay? Cool. Peace. All right, love you guys. God bless you. See you next Sunday.